Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, Dashley fam. How the heck are you doing today? Today we sit down with Jonathan Asley, and Ashley and I learned a whole bunch. Jonathan Asley is a dating coach. We've never really talked with a dating coach before, so we didn't know what to expect going into it, but he taught us so much about, first off, loving yourself before you even approach loving other people and having that foundation set. How to overcome negative patterns of lack of self-worth, self-regard, or self-love, and really get yourself in the right first. And then building meaningful relationships on top of that solid foundation. Sit back and enjoy this conversation about dating and relationships with Jonathan Asley. All right, you guys, we are sitting down with Jonathan. Jonathan's calling in from California. Jonathan, we're we're so glad to have you with us. Oh, I'm so excited to be your guest. I'm truly honored. You guys are doing great work out there. So thank you. How the heck is the weather today? Because it's, it's super freezing today. So we just <laughs> indulge us a little bit. Well, it's freezing here too. It's going to only get to 65 and us Californians call that, we call that cold. When you pull out the parkas. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, uh, man, we are just excited to dive in and and hear your story. It's, it's an inspiring story already just from chatting with you before we hit record on this podcast. And, um, I know that thousands, you know, around the world have already been inspired by your story and what you do on day-to-day basis. So like, we love to hear just you know, how you got into being a dating and relationship coach and, <laughs> and like, yeah, how does one you know, get the, this title that you have and, and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah. So, I mean, this was so far removed from where I was in my life because uh, back in my early forties, I was an insurance corporate insurance broker. Mm-hmm. Um, but around 2005, my, um, my wife and I decided to split up. It just wasn't working out. And then literally the next month later that we split, I lost my quarter million dollar a year job. Oh my gosh. And then I got wiped out in the market crash of 2008. And at one, and I had a seven figure nest egg. Um, I mean, at one point we lived in a $2.2 million home and everything just to give you some backdrop. And when I moved out of the house, I first thing I did was I started online dating like that was like because I was wanting to connect with someone and I thought, oh, you could easily punch someone in and you could punch something, you know, all the criterion and someone would magically appear. And um, I'll never forget. I had a great first date. It was right around Valentine's Day, coincidentally, or right before it. Uh, Nice woman. Great date. Something wasn't right. Then a couple days later, meet another person. Nice woman. Great date. Something wasn't right. And in one year, I had over 100 internet dates. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I tried internet yeah. dating for like a solid six months and had like one date. I just could <laughs> <laughs> Well, I talked to you then. So, yeah, you did. I, I'm like, good, yeah. good on you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the something wasn't right was me. I looked at, I go realize that I was the problem. However, I was going through so much depression, so much shame, so much anger that, um, not only was I drinking and doing, you know, drugs at the time to kind of to self-medicate because I was in a lot of pain, losing my big job and then uh, going through a divorce. Online dating became an addiction for me. I mean, I was literally addicted to connecting with women and talking to women. But what was interesting and what was happening that I was not aware of it was I'm talking to women, not actually physically meeting them. I'm talking to women all across the country, sometimes for two, three, four, five, six. I had a one time an eight hour conversation starting at like 8 8 p.m. And we were were done talking at like 4 a.m. 
Wow. And I was listening to them share their stories and, and their experiences about their d- divorce, because I was predominantly a divorced people at that time. Uh-huh. Um, well, there was, I mean, a lot of non-married people too. Um, but what would happen is I'd get phone calls because I've made friends. They go, Jonathan, will you look at my dating profile and help me make it better from a guy's perspective? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I would say, change this picture, change this, write this, do this. And then I'd get a phone call three weeks later. Jonathan, I met a great guy. Will you check out his profile and tell me what you think of him? Oh, And I would just start, I had this intuitive sixth sense about guys at my age bracket because I was going through divorce and alimony and child support and visitation rights and family court and all that kind of stuff. So I had this sixth sense about guys, at least, you know, the the divorce guys in particular. Well, I feel like any guy kind of has a better sense about God, like they can call a good or a bad guy. Like when we watched The Bachelor and it's yeah. The Bachelorette and there's like 10 guys, Dallin's calling it immediately. Like, oh, he's, <laughs> yeah. like, he's not a catcher. He's cool or something's off about him. And I'm like, what? Where is this coming from? But then when it's the girl's turn, when they're the contestants, I'll be like, oh no, she's trouble. Like, don't even. Yeah, and exactly. she'll just say a word and Dallin will be like, what? Yep. So I think- I think- yeah, I yeah, think, there's, I think a, you're there's in a, good a kind place of intuitiveness. Here. So what happened was I, you know, I had this sixth sense. I mean, I felt like, you know, like the FBO, FBI have profilers for serial killers. <laughs> I I could profile serial daters, serial monogamous, nice guys, bad boys. And I say the guy looking for you. And so I had dated an internet, a woman who is an, a coach in the internet marketing world and that sort of thing at one point. And I like, I could do this. So I threw it together. I'm going to say a cheesy website. <laughs> I wrote an ebook called Online Dating Secrets Revealed, threw up a website. And then like a week later, I get a phone call. Like someone sees my website and a dating coach, dating, a male dating coach for women. And I specialized with divorce. I go, I get a call saying, would you be interested in being on a radio show? And I'm like, sure. Oh there you go. And it, And then a few weeks later, I get a phone call or an email. Would you be interested in being in a a pilot for a TV show? No way. (laughs) Yeah. And I did this. I I did one of those, uh, what do you call it, auditions. And at that time, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just literally winging it. Um, But I just kept putting out content and putting out my perspective. And all of a sudden, I built a business, you know, out of school from scratch. And I've been on NBC. I've been on ABC. I've been on CBS. I've been, you know, I was on Katie Couric at one point. Uh, Man, that's so cool. I feel like along this journey, along like you having this talent of picking out like good matches, but I feel like you've probably also really come to a place where you've boiled down like the things to look out for and the things to look for and the things that like would really be a quality person when you're a person trying to find someone to date or someone to be in a relationship with. Well, you are absolutely right. And when I told you after a year, I realized the problem was me. I bought every relationship book I could get my hands on. I was reading from some of the best doctors and the best therapists in the country about what it takes to actually create a healthy, happy relationship. So much of the dating advice is all centered on how to get the guy or girl. It's all based on the egoic way of Mm -hmm. attracting someone in your life. But, but 
all right, great. Now you've got someone in your life. And if you don't know how to be in a healthy relationship, um, you're going to suffer. So I rever- my coaching is reverse engineered. It comes from how does a healthy relationship look like? and how to make that happen, and then backtrack it in how to get the person in your life because you're coming from a place of awareness because we've all heard this. Why didn't they teach us this in school? Well, they don't, and we're all, we're basically expected to look at our parents as the role models, and for the generation of the gen, for millennials and Gen Zs, most of their role models are parents who are divorced. Right. So, um you know, it's hard to really get a sense of what a good relationship looks like. So that's where I lean into my conversations. And it's mostly behavioral based and not egoic based dating advice. And I'd like to think that's where my my, you know, my coaching is different than the average coach out there that's going based on society and traditional expectations. I really like that because it's kind of like, I'm sure you've read seven habits of highly effective people. It's like, yeah. start with, um, start with yourself first, the internal victory before the external victory. Exactly. Exactly. And many people are dating to do that. You complete me, you fill the hole in my life because we have been so conditioned as children that we receive love from others and that's how we validate ourselves. And so when that's our conditioning, if we don't have a good shore up within ourselves, how can we actually love another? And so you, you bring up a great book for that example. Yeah. I resonate with this a ton when, so I didn't even, I had my first kiss when I was 22. I didn't date anyone until I was 23. I was this incredibly shy person and I could never figure out how to get a guy to just be interested in me. And it wasn't yeah. until I started, like I started looking at myself and being and and seeing myself as the problem and not as guys just aren't interested in me or like guys are so dumb or guys, like I started looking at myself and when, and my problem was like, I just didn't, I didn't think I was worth dating. I thought I was like, I didn't think anyone would like me. So I had to go through this whole process of just coming to to like myself and to believe that I was a cool girl and to gain some confidence. And the next year, like, I, I like, I, I don't even know how many people I kissed that next year. And like, I don't even know how many dates I went on. Like I, I became almost like, like a serial dater, kind of like you said, when I finally figured out how to just accept myself and be confident and put myself out there and love myself when someone else wasn't and be, and be okay if it wasn't a good fit. That's what attracted me to you was like how confident you were in yourself and how unpretentious you were and just like you just seemed like you had your head on straight and like I could like I really and I'm sure this is what you talk about all day Jonathan yes (laughs) well you know it's interesting is because you know for the two of you for example what's great is you you come at it from a place of beginner's mind so to speak yeah totally and there's a freshness in the fact that the two of you two together it's like you started off with two blank sheets of paper and you're co-creating your life together in the demographic that i work in mostly and that's not an absolute for people that are in their 40s and above they come to the table with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and sadly with a lot of pain. So it's really, I help address the pain that's causing much of the frustration in life because when we can address the pain, like what you did, Ashley, when you recognize, you know, recognize that in yourself and you address the pain, we're able to 
kind of shore up our life in a more solid way. And we use the word confidence, right? But the reality is, is as confident as we might be, we also are riddled with insecurities too. It's just the kind of the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. And so like what you did, the stronger you become internally, outwardly, you're, you're much more attractive. And that's kind of, I address the problems sometimes that happens when people haven't looked inward like what you did. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't able, like I didn't, I was trying so hard to hide so much about myself that I wasn't ever able to connect. And when I finally became able to just not just be cool with it. So you say you have five ways for women to avoid pushing men away. And I am so interested in hearing what these five ways are. Okay, okay. So I think the most important thing really leans back to what you've just talked about. Is when, you know, when we are shoring up our own sovereignty is the way I like to call it. Our own self-worth, our self-esteem. We naturally do the opposite. We don't push people away because neediness is one of the first thing that pushes someone away when we need something from someone else. So it begins with doing it internally. It also begins when we start to speak our truth in life, when we speak our truth. And what I mean by that is truth doesn't mean truth. It just, when I say our truth, it doesn't mean that it is true. Our truth are our feelings. So here's, okay, so let me give you a contrast. A lot of dating coaches will tell women, don't share your feelings with men because you'll scare them away, right? And I'm here to say the exact opposite. When you share your feelings authentically, you actually build trust with another human being. Yeah. You build trust with another human being. And if you scare them away, then that's a good thing because you don't want to date them. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I've, it saddens me that a lot of advice out there is based on ego. In other words, trying to pander to people's egos. And I'm here to say, let's pander to people's love. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to pander to anything. Let's pander to love. Uh huh. Right. And uh, I mean, we could go through the list of you know things to avoid, but I think those are like the two main things is to step into is. I always say, speak your truth, do it with kindness. Um, I also say, when it's sincere and from the heart, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. Yeah, well, I think those are the conversations that create emotional intimacy. Dallin and I have yes. been in marriage therapy for a record two months and have learned Excellent. so much. And that's the thing that we were kind of missing. Like We had kind of built our relationship on fun and adventure and and being spontaneous and just being young and cute. But once kids came into the picture and lots of responsibilities and stuff, uh, and we wouldn't be able to spend as much time doing all the fun things we used to do together, it was kind of like, we didn't well, have... I'm the one that goes to work and you're the one that... And it's just like, you know, and the emotional intimacy wasn't there. And so it's yeah. kind of like, what are we left with, you know? And so... That was um, one thing that we weren't comfortable with. We were like, I... We, Dallin has a really hard time being like sharing his feelings and speaking his truth. And that's something that we're working on now, like five years into marriage, which if we had started that way, like who knows, who knows like where our friendship would be. 
Hey, oh, I think this is fantastic that the two of you are doing this now because you're going to avoid what I dealt with at, you know, 12 years late, 12 years into a marriage. And I'm saying this so everybody who's listening to this podcast hear this. Uh, I'm a believer of therapy, not necessarily because we have to fix anything, but a therapist is really good at hearing both people and then reframing it sometimes in a way that it's seen, heard, and understood when there's, because we're human beings, we have different perspectives on lives. And what fascinates me is we expect people to think the way we do. (laughs) I know. That's what I thought you're supposed to marry somebody who thought the way that you did. So yeah. Yeah. And and when you consider all the filters that we have learned through, our, when I say filters, we've experienced life individually, uniquely individually. That's why we all have different thumbprints, right? Uh-huh. So the way we contextualize the world is different. And yet this, there's such an expectation that you must think the way I do, otherwise there's something wrong. There must be something wrong if you don't think the way I think. And that's where a lot of couples struggle. And that's why I think it's great that the two of you are doing therapy, just so you can learn help, help each other contextualize the world. And I want to say to your audience, there's a great book um, written by Dr. John Gottman called Eight Dates. And whether you're in the first beginning stages of dating or even a seasoned relationship like yourself, he's identified the eight core components for a successful relationship and actually created dates. In other words, you know, like not romantic dates, but dates where you can talk about these eight core areas of relationship success. And I'm a big proponent, like for those dating out there, is you actually begin to learn like, remember I said earlier about reverse engineering it? Uh-huh. Learn what it takes to be in a good relationship ahead of time so you're prepared when you're dating. And that's what I'm a big proponent of. Stay tuned for more Big Little Life with the Dashleys. We are supported by Trust and Will. You guys, it is so important to have a will spelled out, ready to go for your family. Can't explain how much peace of mind it brings to Ashton and I knowing that if anything happens to us, heaven forbid, that our family, our kids, our assets, everything is taken care of in our will. And we made it online and it is so easy with trustandwill.com. Trustandwill.com makes getting a legal will easy and affordable for everyone. It's 10 minutes to finish online. It is a lot easier than you would think. And estate plans start at just $39. They offer guardianships, wills, and trusts in all 50 states. They even have people available to instantly answer any questions you may have during the process. Seriously, it's so easy. Do it for your family. Do it for your loved ones. Do it for yourself. Guardianships start at $39, wills at $69, and trusts at $399. Visit trustandwill.com slash big little to automatically receive 10% off your purchase of a guardianship, will, or trust. Again, that's trustandwill.com slash big little to automatically receive 10% off your purchase of a guardianship, will, or trust. Yeah, man. So we've talked about, um, like what, what we've talked about already about like having the, the, the personal internal success first. Is there any other main things that you talk, you coach people with about having that internal success before you start, uh, approaching dating? Well, I'm a big proponent of everyone doing personal development, self-help, and spiritual work as a daily practice. You know, it's interesting. Um, 
athletes spend hours upon hours upon hours, you know, training and working out before they play a game or before they do a big event. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And athletes are a great example or or, you know, like sports figures and all that stuff. And yet most people don't do the training in their own life for their own psyche to be prepared to interact with other people. <laughs> I know I didn't. It's, right. And so why I'm such a big proponent of this, because remember I shared earlier in my story how I was um, very depressed. I was very ashamed. I used drugs. I used alcohol. I used internet dating as my self-medication. Mm-hmm. And I hit the lowest point of my life. I hit a point in my life where I went to bed wishing I didn't wake up. And I had two boys at the time, you know, I was going to divorce. When we went divorced, it was, they were like six and nine. And it's not a, you know, the idea of not living, I didn't want to kill myself. It wasn't that, but the idea of not living, I mean, I have two boys that depend upon me or want me and need me. It was sad that I reached that level of despair. And it wasn't until I began a day, a practice of, like I said, personal development, self-help, spiritual work. You know, at the time we didn't have podcasts, but we had YouTube and I would watch YouTube videos and I would read books on how to be in a healthy relationship. I read books on self-esteem and it was through that work that actually prepared me for even a greater chaos in my life. Um, But I was able to rebuild my life, um, start a business from scratch. Like my friends thought you're, de- you're a dating coach. And my ex and my ex-wife was like, you gotta be kidding. Me. You know <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and my first year of being a dating coach, I was doing it for Starbucks cards. And then it, it was the, the dollar a minute telephone services, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and that's how I got started. And eventually, like when I shared earlier, I got asked to do radio shows and things. You know, I've built a six-figure business from this. I'm actually, if you Google my name, there's like 30 or 40,000 hits. So awesome. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very blessed with a lot of success stories. I mean, every day I get an email from somebody who says, your work changed my life. And that's what inspires me to want to talk about the importance of working on oneself shoring up our own what i call self-love so much like putting the oxygen mask on yourself you know if in the case of cabin pressure you know you know the flight attendant says put the mask on yourself first um because you can't help others until you help yourself and i look at the oxygen as love when we love on ourselves we're better prepared to handle the nuances of life and we can actually be good for our partners as well. And yeah, that's so powerful. Um, I, there's a relationship book that comes to mind. It's called the self-centered marriage where mm. he says the highest, the highest form of uh, the, the most noble form of love is I love myself for your benefit. Where, yeah. Where I take care of myself so that you don't need to, and I can then give of myself, you know, wholeheartedly to you. And yeah. Like, and, um, like we we don't like I take care of myself for your benefit. I love myself for your benefit. That's that's really good. So like when somebody, if you work with somebody who is like in the depth of despair, like you were, it, where's that first step? It sounds like you were able to do this proactively by yourself. And and uh, do you coach people to do the same? Like they have to find it within themselves and, and internal motivators that that are important to them. 
Well, this is a great question. And I'm a big proponent that um, to seek, depending on where you're at in the space of despair, it might mean medical attention. Mm -hmm. It might mean seeking a therapist or a doctor, um, depending on how severe it is. However, um, if it's not that severe, um, I'm a big proponent of doing a personal development workshop in the area of childhood wounds or traumas childhood wounds or traumas and uh, adult traumas, excuse me. I meant to say adult traumas Um, because as children, you know, our parents, you know, our, our parents weren't perfect. You know, they did, they did their best to be loving and caring. And however, not everybody's parents were that way. In some cases there were um, broken homes and that sort of thing. And that experience carries over into our adult lives where we have mostly negative patterns and limiting beliefs that cause our adult dysfunction. So when that becomes addressed, um, one begins to shift from the inside out. Hence why I call it, you know, loving on oneself or Uh self-love. And so it's recognizing that when we do work on ourselves, like the basketball player or the football player or the sports athlete that does training every day, we we get the muscles, we get the, you know, we're, yeah. we're able to sprint really fast. We're able to do life with what I believe is a greater sense of inner peace. Because in, what's interesting about dating, dating triggers the number one emotional health issue facing most Americans, if not the world. And that trigger is, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy on a subconscious level. Our subconscious has a script that plays mm-hmm. this and it's doing it so you can choose to love on yourself. So dating, particularly because you guys aren't in that realm, but I can tell you in the in the realm that I'm in, you know, it's certainly and that's true for people in their 20s and 30s as well, is when you have a lot of bad dates, people that ghost, people that disappear, people that, you know, have sex with you and never call again, those things happen. Um, that can wear on your your self esteem, mm-hmm. and nothing does that more. Even a text message that doesn't get returned right away can trigger someone's flight and flight fight and flight response, where they literally feel panic, like the world is you know, like the sky is falling. Uh huh. Yeah, I, think- I mean it's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, I think that overlaps into so much like with with social media now, like like people start to panic if if people aren't commenting or liking or (laughs) there's so much that we base our self-worth on that is very fleeting or not even real. Like it's or God for somebody doesn't like a comment and they do something, they do an angry comment and like, oh, my God, the sky is falling Uh our self-worth. And that's just an example. So. This is why I'm on a mission to continually encourage, I say, personal development, self-help, spiritual work, um, which I encapsulate it all into self-love. It's one of the reasons why I wrote a book called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? Because this, the word self-love could be a little bit of a turnoff to people. So here's an easier way to look at it. Self-worth self-esteem, self-confidence, self-reliance. It's all, you know, if we encapsulate it all, it's learning how to love on oneself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not to blame yourself 
as like when like I just know with Dallin like if anything goes wrong or if if something doesn't if if I'm not happy Dallin immediately takes that personally as I'm working on it I just became aware that this was a habit that I was in no I think this is until very recently I would take it personally if something was going wrong or Ashley wasn't happy or if there was an issue that needed to be fixed like but it was kind of more than personal it was because of this I'm a failure or because this happened I'm like a failure or I have less value or I'm doing everything wrong. And I think people are so quick to have that as their reflex with so much of life, especially dating. Like I know I did. Can I, can I address that real quick? Because that actually, so, you know, it's interesting. If we actually look at where the root of that comes from, it comes from when we tried to please our parents. So a lot of people don't realize that when I said childhood wounds and such, and people that have felt like they grew up in good homes, um, We actually, a lot of this happened not intentionally, but when we tried to please our parents that we want to do good and then something happens, we go, I did something wrong. That's what a little kid thinks. It's not real, but that's what that little kid thinks. So now we carry that little kid imprinting and all of a sudden, because Dallin, I've done the same thing. I feel like I've when I was in my marriage, I was always doing things wrong when it had nothing to do with me. I actually, what's interesting is I talk to a lot of therapists and a lot of my, most of my dating advice is based on human behavior, not the biological human behavior, like men are supposed to chase and hunt and pursue and all that sort of thing, but the, the emotional behavior that causes a lot of internal sabotage. So for example, Uh, Ashley, when you were talking about like self-criticism and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. we have, if, when, when there isn't a handle on that, we can actually sabotage our relationships with other people, not intentionally, it's unintentional because it creates mistrust. And so the more we love on ourselves and we trust ourselves, we become trustworthy to others, not and just through our daily actions, not because we need to, but it's just already, it's like lead by example. Yeah, That's so good. I think that I, like growing up, like very Christian and still am, but there are scriptures that say, um, like take no thought for what you should wear or like forget yourself and go to work and stuff. Like, I think that that could be taken out of context in mm. terms of like feeling guilty about loving yourself or or putting yourself first per se so that you can love other people. Like, do you deal with that at all? And you're like, people who have those same thoughts. Oh my gosh. Especially, and not just because I coach women, but this tends to be a truth is, you know, women are tend to be more natural nurturers in life. So they're always giving to others. And what happens is when you're constantly giving to others, you're depleted internally. Right. But there's almost such an expectation. If I give, I should get back. That's the other thing I give and I get back. So in some cases, people are giving, giving, giving. And and when we use the word love, they're giving their, their time, they're giving their energy, they're giving their effort. And if it's not coming back, some people, you know, go into martyrdom, you know, like I give so much and nobody gives to me, which is a lack of self-worth within themselves or, or, and that's what the byproduct of is. It it can it's insidious how the ego can play on us to attack ourselves. By the way, but the reason why the ego is doing that, the unhealthy ego, it's because it really wants the healthy ego to s- take over and say, "Love on yourself." I know it sounds counterintuitive. It's ridiculous 
that that's the way it works. But everything that you feel like life isn't going for you, it's giving you an opportunity to work on yourself so it can work for you. And I hope that made sense. <laughs> so kind of like, I think there comes a point where you can either feel like you've been giving, 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 like as a mother, like, yeah, I thought if I checked all the mother boxes and checked all the wife boxes, like, like make dinner, take my kids places, skip working out, don't sleep and and care for my family with all that I have and give them everything that I have and kind of ignore myself, then I, I am, I'm technically doing what's socially right and what's culturally right and what might be religiously right. But I'm, I'm at the end of the day feeling spent and empty and worthless and, and just alone. And at that moment, I could either go down the route that I used to go down or sometimes accidentally go down, which is a route of shame. Like how, how dare I feel this way? Like I should feel fulfilled by doing all the right things and, and I'm not. So like something must be wrong with me or I must not be doing enough. Or like you're saying, you can turn the other way and say, if I'm feeling this way, I need to turn back to myself and give myself more. You have nailed it. It's time to get selfish. And I don't mean at someone else's expense. It's time to get selfish in the sense of loving on oneself. That should be the starting point. And again, I'm going to come back to the oxygen mask analogy. How can we be benefit to anyone else if we're not loving on ourselves first? And so there's this, we, again, this culture, our society and culture is all about giving, giving, giving. And, and that's going to deplete people, especially mothers. You know, it's so important to give to yourself and to honor and nurture yourself. And I don't mean self-care in the sense of manicures and pedicures kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, those are nice and massages are great, you know, and even a night out with your friends are great. That's great self-care. But I'm talking about emotional care. Well, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, dive into that a little deeper. Well, I'm about to say, I'm sure you're talking to so many women who are going through a divorce and trying to kind of reset their lives. And I just, I know if I was in that situation and I had children, I would... be it would be very hard for me not to try and completely lose myself in overcompensating and trying to give my kids like trying to just give them make them so happy that they didn't notice that we were in a divorce or make make our life so beautiful and fun and and just kind of lose myself in that kind of impossible goal and i would feel so guilty and like even wanting to date like how how can i take myself away from my kids when i've already taken them away from their dad Yeah. I come across so many women in particular, and this isn't exclusive to women and men do this as well, but they give so much to their children. They're doing their best so much to try to idolize their life, so to speak, that they're actually shielding them from true reality. Uh And so when I went through my divorce, I was very transparent with my boys. We talked, um, not quite at an adult level, but I did something interesting with my boys. I did something uh, where I called it sacred circle. And and I said, when we get inside sacred circle, we can talk about real life stuff. And because of that, my boys and I have, have a great emotional connection with each other. And, but I want to lean back into the giving part. I, I got sidetracked there for a second is that the, what happens to children if all of, the, of um, a woman's 
energy is devoted to her children and not to herself, it actually creates from a psychological perspective that the mother is, I, I need to be with one, someone who's a constant giver. I mean, it can create all kinds of backfiring events for your children as adults because it's hard to honor a woman who's only giving, giving, giving and not able to receive. I mean, there's so many psychological things that can happen. So does the, and, does the child be like expect that of their spouse? So I interestingly enough did a, a video ca called uh, why an alpha male wants his mommy <laughs> <laughs> because the alpha male is the most coveted of all males in the dating realm. Right. Right. So the point is when someone is raised with a nurturing parent that's constantly giving, giving, giving the child gives nothing other than their presence. OK, think about that. All a child does is just show up and just be themselves. Right. They're not doing anything reciprocal. So if we're raised and conditioned that way, and especially for those mothers that over get overcompensate, like what you were talking about, Ashley, uh -huh. they are setting up their children to be takers in the world. Wow. Not givers, takers. Huh. Because all they've done is receive, receive, receive. They haven't learned how to give. They haven't learned how to really give to a relationship. And so I'm here to suggest that that's counterintuitive for those who are giving so much and not giving to themselves. Because when you can give to yourself and your children witness it, they go, ah, I see. I need to receive and give. So what are some practical things that a child might hear with a, a mom with a healthy self-love? Like, like, yeah, yes, I want to help you out there, but one second I'm doing this. Or what are some other, like, how does that look in day-to-day -day life in like a healthy parent-child relationship? At this point, we're taking notes for ourselves. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, this isn't necessarily my expertise per se. So oh, okay. just give me a little bit of latitude because I'm in the dating realm per se. But, I, but gotcha. I, I, I can lean into this and say... You know, and it's not about making excuses, but your child wants something. And it's talking to them, not from the adult, per well, it's actually talking to them from an adult perspective, but, you know, at a level of just saying, hey, sweetheart, right now, mommy has to take care of this project. And as soon as I've completed this project, I will help you with your project. How does that work for you? Actually get some buy-in. Now kids are gonna scream and they're not gonna, but when you actually start adult languaging with them, I believe they actually start to grow up emotionally much faster than when you placate to them continually over and over and, and over they again. They just realize that the world doesn't revolve around them at an early age. Exactly. Rather than in their 20s when they're married and unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, and by the way, Hashtag sadly, our life. <laughs> yeah, you know, and my hope is you two are the exception to the rule because people that get married in their 20s have a, you know, a higher rate of divorce. And so it's incumbent. And so the fact that you two are doing work together with a therapist, you are so far ahead of most relationships out there that I have no doubt you guys will be rocking and rolling until your 80s, 90s and 100s. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. That's the goal. <laughs> But I get what you're saying, like how 20 people who get married in their 20s are more likely to get divorced. Dallin and I, when we were 24 and got married, thought we knew ourselves and thought we knew how we would react to situations and thought we knew each other. And we just thought we like had figured everything out. And then fast forward just five years and we're probably still babies. I know we are. But 
If I could have brought what I know about myself and what I know about how I react to life and just like my my outlook on on life and joy and happiness and, and even just knowing I didn't know what was important to me when I was 24. I thought I did, but I mean, like I didn't at least what my 30 year old self would, what would bring my 30 year old self happiness. If I could rewind and take that Ashley back are, I mean, like things would just be so different, I think. Yeah. But I think that's the only way we learned it. That's how, no, that's totally. our path. That's how we learned it. I just and think there's a lot of growing that happens in the twenties that I didn't realize happened until I was 30 uh-huh. and looked back. Yeah. And, and guess what? And 35, you're going to be different and 40, you're going to be different and 50, you're going to be different. When I say different, you're going to evolve and grow and you're going to have differences. And my parents who were married just one month shy of 66 years before my mother passed away, um, my parents had both a healthy relationship together and they had, I don't want to say separate lives, but separate passions. And it was in those passions that, that fulfilled them both individually, and they came together sharing their passions with one another, and then they had mutual passions together. Right. There's this almost expectation that you have to do everything with your partner, and there's a setting up for failure there because nobody can give you 100% of right. everything. Yeah. We have to do it for ourselves, hence self-love. <laughs> right. uh-huh. Yeah, when we got there we are again. Yeah, I thought the expectation was that I drop everything for my partner. And that was just kind of like what I had witnessed growing up, like successful marriages, like the the woman and I and that's not what I advocate now, like at all. I just thought that was how things worked. Like I get married and I kind of put my life on on hold while like while Dallin achieves his dreams. And like I knew I wanted to be a, a mom and I knew I wanted to put that first in my life, being home with my kids. But I, I thought that would fulfill me completely, and it didn't. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't even know what I'm saying. I was talking. Well, we've just come a long ways, and we've learned <laughs> we've a lot. We've come a long ways, and we've learned a lot. Yeah. And Man, and I, that's so good. So yeah, so that comes full circle back to self-love and how important that is. So let's go to the next step. Once you have established a healthy pattern of self-love and self-respect, and you're ready to put yourself out there, be vulnerable, like... Where, where in your coaching, like what comes next? What, what's your next advice for getting out there and like attracting and spotting a, like a commitment ready man and, (laughs) and just going out and finding your person? Well, I mean, interesting enough, um, I've noticed that about almost 50% of all new relationships for people over 45 years old are happening through an online connection. Okay. So whether it's a dating site, whether it's a dating app, whether it's, you know, uh, social media, people are connecting online, certainly in, in my age demographic, but even their twenties and thirties. Oh, totally. So, so we have to be recognized that this is reality. Now, sadly with reality, we get a lot of garbage too. There's a lot of catfishing going on, which are fake profiles or, uh, scam artists and that sort of thing. Cause technology leans into that. And why I'm saying this is a lot of people can become bitter or jaded or unhappy with this process. I'm here to just simply say it's a spoke in the wheel. It's not an absolute. It's a good place to, you know, throw up a, a, you know, profile and maybe connect with someone, but it's not an absolute. Sadly, most people are dating with incredible apathy and a lack of intentionality. It's, um, 
the the online world is almost become insidious with people that put little to no effort quality effort into this endeavor or or they're coming into it with a negative mindset and so what's important is a put in quality effort which means putting quality photographs a quality essay and a quality mindset but what i mean by quality i just mean healthy good positive um most people are struggling because they have a, a negative mindset and negative and poor effort and all that does is perpetuate more of it so you know, myself and others out there help create good profiles so you can get seen by more people. And ideally, I'm here to suggest look for those people who are also putting in quality quality effort. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, men get a bad rap for being commitment phobic. And, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, and, and while to some degree that is true, you know, there is a fear of intimacy for both sexes. Um I think having that mindset also attracts more of that into one's life. If you're constantly thinking of the negative, what are you going to get back? The negative. Mm -hmm. And so shift to more of a positive mindset. Yeah. And you're talking about like a profile, like a dating profile. Yeah. On, dating profile. On any of the yeah. many websites out there. Yeah. And honestly, it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to interact with your thumbs. I mean, nowadays we are interacting with people with our thumbs. I mean, not our fingers anymore. When before smartphones, we're doing it with thumbs uh -huh. <laughs> and, and sending messages and messages are short and curt. And it's, it's tough to build true connection because from a dating perspective, I want everyone to hear this. Most of the time you're meeting a stranger, stranger. In other words, you don't know them. Yeah. And there's this almost expectation that, Two people meet and they should just have this instantaneous connection. If they're the right so they one. Can, yeah, if they're the right one, you can carry off in the sunset. But if there's okay connection, there's the expectation that men are supposed to lead the process because that's the chivalrous and traditional and societal way of doing things. Why I'm pausing here for a second is how can I, as a man who meets a woman who I don't know from Adam, and have one interaction, have any clue whether or not I want to pursue this person uh, unless I'm driven by sex. Oh, so do you encourage girls to kind of be more bold? I'm, I'm encouraging that t people mutually put effort into the process. Now, let me repeat those words. Mutual. <laughs> yeah. A man should be bold and a woman should be bold. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And it's not about bold, but it's more about effort because guys – we need, you know, men are insecure too. We have our fears and such. So when a man makes effort, I must suggest a woman makes effort. And when a woman makes effort, a man makes effort. You're making effort with each other to help build friendship, to build safety, to build familiarity, to build intimacy. Because men are bad at the dating process. Yeah. <laughs> We're just bad at it. We, I mean, we want to know how to meet a girl. After that, we have no clue what to do next. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I always tell my clients, if you're expecting men to lead, you're giving the job to the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're in charge of your relationship destiny, not another person. Yeah. Like the only, the only thing that you both have to go off in the very beginning is like whether or not you're physically attracted to them. Yeah. And so, and you know, it's interesting. I have clients, I've had situations where I've, 
I've talked to women who said, I never seem to get a second date. I never seem to get a second date. So one client, I said, really? And she goes, yeah. I mean, she goes, the last 30 men I met. So I said, the next, so we're, I was coaching her. I go, the next man, sure enough, she went on a date. Three days later, she doesn't hear from him. I said, write him an email and say, um, I had a great time. I'm going to be in your neighborhood on Thursday. Would you be up for getting together for lunch or um, because I'm going to be in your neighborhood. That's and what he changed my dating life when I started yeah, doing that. Learn the art of following so, up. <laughs> yeah, when I would, when I would just, or just ass- following up in general. When I would just assume that they were just like me, and just instead of imagining them as like knight in shining armor who has like all the power yeah. to choose, and it's just my power to be chosen, uh-huh. I just assumed that they were just like me, like a normal person who was looking for a friend, looking for someone to date, and. You know, like if they ask me on a too, date and they're hesitant to yeah, and like they like ice cream, too. So if I want to go get ice cream, I could just chill, yeah, be chill just and just ask. text them and be like, hey, do you want to go get ice cream or hey, do you? By the way, what happened with this woman? And this has happened more than once. The guy said, I didn't think you liked me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and the whole time so they're thinking the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. So there must be something in the way she dated that gave off the vibe. So we were able to pinpoint, by the way, they dated for a short period of time, but we were able to pinpoint where this was coming from, why she wasn't getting a second date. But in the case you're talking about, Ashley, it's great because men want to feel appreciated and loved too. So by making the effort, he's like, oh, he likes, she likes me. And then he makes some effort and then you make some effort. And that's how the dance has a potential for building a stronger unity versus expecting men to be the driving force. Because as I say, we're bad at the process. It's such a skill. That's what I learned. It's such a skill. Yeah. And I just didn't have it for 22 years. Yeah. So one question that I have that we get a lot too is um, like, where do you draw the line between like they, you, you, we can work on this quality that might be missing versus that's a red flag. I'm not going to continue dating. Well, or is that flag, a gray area? Well, well, here's okay. So there are what's called deal breakers. Yeah. Like I'm a proponent. Know what your deal breakers are. So, I, for example, and I'll use an obvious one. For some people, smoking is a deal breaker. Um, you know, but maybe if someone gave like. Here's something I've noticed women say to me. I noticed the guy gave a an, a low tip. That must mean he's <laughs> cheap, okay? Uh-huh. Well, that's not – first off, that's an assumption right off the bat is to put in the correlation they're cheap with the amount they tip. But that could be a red flag. And red flag simply means ask more questions. That's good. So let me repeat that. Red flag means ask more questions because deal breakers are deal breakers. The sad thing is people create a lot of deal breakers out of red flags. (laughs) Okay. So you're not, so red flags are different than actual deal breakers and it. Yeah. Deal breakers mean don't move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I'll give you an example. Uh, A man who doesn't want children, a woman who does want children. Yeah. That's, that's most likely a deal breaker. Yeah. You know, but the, the analogy I gave for the tip is merely a red flag, you know, means ask more questions or pay more attention. Yeah. Um, Does that help? I mean, does that give make sense? Yeah. I think so many, like when I was dating, I was so afraid to ask (sighs) questions because I didn't want to ruin like I didn't want to ruin anything, but I think that's the only way to figure out if I were to date again. The whole like let's get real or let's not play mindset. Like just oh, ask questions. Gosh. You okay, so I I want to lean into this because sadly, 
you know, people are the dating advice out there is don't ask questions because it seems like an interrogation or an interview. And I'm here to say the opposite. You want to ask questions. Yeah. However, do it conversationally. You do it conversationally. It's part of a conversation. Not like judgmentally. Right. Yeah. You're doing it like, hey, I want to get to know you and I want to go beyond the surface is you like sushi? Me too. You like snowboarding? Me too. You like the Rolling Stones? Me too. Let's go deeper into finding more about someone's life than the, I mean, those are great having those similarities. Don't get me wrong, but it's through the deeper questions that we find out, like, tell me about your past relationship. What did you learn from your past relationship? Um, that's a great question. What did you learn and what you're most grateful for from your last relationship? Because that tells that's a, a lot. Question. about. Because if someone said, I learned how not to date a cheater and liar. No, you didn't learn that. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you probably will do it again and again and again. But hey, I learned that I can stand up for myself. Or like Ashley said, you know, I can speak up for myself. That's what I learned in my last relationship. And what I'm so grateful for is we had great trips together. Being gratitude for our past and not angry about our past is a, my suggestion anyway. Man, yeah, that's so good. And just like being, having an attitude of gratitude, not shame or guilt or trying to just hide it. Like just what you learn from it because life's an adventure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's really good. So, okay. So, so just naming your own deal breakers and having those at the forefront. So you're ready to just be like, just so you know, like that's, that's a deal breaker for me. And then separating those from red flags where you just want to ask more questions in a conversational tone rather than a judgmental tone. Like the tip, for exactly. example, how would you approach that in a conversational tone? If you notice somebody left a lower tip than, than you would leave because you're a server and you know how bad servers have it. Well, we have one from our past. Like, what? remember we were talking and I was like, I really hate the cold. I would never, I want to live in, in Georgia or in somewhere warm. And you were like, well, I will only live in Utah or whatever. And I was like, well, <laughs> not if you marry me. And it like really quickly turned into something that wasn't fun, but we could have been like, oh, like, we could have been like, oh, tell me about, about that. that. Or, yeah. And, and just, just like. Just well, like that oh, that a opens red, up a that's conversation. That's a perfect example of a red flag. I mean, that could have been a that could have been. I guess a we got breaker. past it because we still got married, but I don't think we got past yeah. it because we leaned into it and really discussed and got to know each other. We, we got barely past got it. past it this morning when we had to stop our previous podcast because we were fighting about the because winter. I take it personally every time Ashley says she hates the winter because I love the winter so much. And I finally mm. realized I'm just taking it personally, and I need to not take it personally because that's your thoughts and not mine. You're not attacking me, even though you don't like well, the winter. Can we lean into this one for the two of you? Can I give a little therapy? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think our words have a lot of power. So to say, I hate the winter, what that does is that reinforces you hate the winter. So what if there's a new, what if there was a reframing of that? Well, while I appreciate that my partner, you know, appreciates the winter, I find it uncomfortable at times, but saying at times. So the minute we that word hate, and by the way, this is how dangerous words can be. It just it reinforces it. So what if you practice for a little bit reframing that, saying, I dislike the winter at times. At least that's a softer way. And for for you, Dallin, you don't feel like you're taking it personally at that point. Uh-huh. So I'm just that's a suggestion between the two of you. Um, 
learning how to reframe things in a lighter, gentler way makes a big difference. Because when we say negative things, we're only going to reinforce it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for that. That's, by the way, Ashley, I'm, you may actually, I get that you hate the winter. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I think it's way. good because Dallin's usual response to that is like, why are you so miserable? Like he gets very defensive. Like you're miserable about your whole life. Does everything about our life just make you sad? Like all winter. Mm. Like it becomes very personal to him when I say, I hate the winter. And I, I get how he could draw the conclusion that I'm never happy. And that he's the yeah. reason that I'm never happy because he likes the winter and we live here. And I'm not, I think at the, at times word would be really good. Cause I'm not ha- unhappy all the time. Like we've had a lot of fun in the snow. Right. It, when I say I hate the winter, it kind of puts. Hey, is a strong word to me. I think stronger than it is to you. Maybe. I just, I don't know. Like I really do think I hate the winter, but I don't, I'm not always unhappy. So I could say, yeah, I, I dislike the I'm winter. I'm having a really times. hard time right now. There we now. go, Jonathan from our from our new therapist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there'll be a check. Send me a check for one fifth. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks for that, man. Okay, so what's what's next? Have we talked? Have we talked about like your main points that you discuss when you're coaching people in dating? Well, I mean, well, we could talk for the rest of the oh, day. I'm sure we could. You have so many resources surface, online too. You know, yeah. I think the most important thing, the message, I, if there's a message I'd like to weave in now is it's, you know, first off, it's the love on oneself. I mean, we've we've kind of said this over and over again, but that recognition of nurturing your own soul, loving on oneself. I also want to encourage a different mindset in the dating realm, and that is compassion for others compassion for others because just as one might be struggling many people feel struggle feel ashamed feel insecure and when we shift when when i well my belief is when an individual shifts to compassion for other people we don't have to judge them as being good or bad and just like it's like reinforcing the word hate for example let's reinforce new words that actually in, invoke compassion empathy, consciousness, awakeness, enlightenment, that's when the words begin to change, the experience, both in dating and in life, becomes, I'm going to say, with a bit more inner peace. Yeah. Like, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And it's like rolling with the punches without, you know taking so much personally or, or just seeing it from a heart of gratitude and what you learned from it rather than yeah. what you did what was wrong. That? And say, yeah, what was that quote I said before we did the podcast? I said, uh, in the pursuit of life, love, and inner peace. There it is. You know? Yeah, before the podcast life, started, love, and inner peace. we came up with Jonathan's new new slogan yeah. right there. there you yeah, go. life, love, and the, you know, the pursuit of life, love, and inner peace. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, it's it's so cool that you've helped so many people find, li- find life and love and inner peace in their relationships, and, and you've helped us in this hour that we've talked together. So we're really grateful for that, Jonathan. Likewise. Um, where uh, so for everybody that wants to learn more about like all the things you have to offer, like where would you direct people first off? 
Well, I, I don't know if you'll have in the show notes, but if you look downward, there might be. I'm going to offer a link to my um, a couple chapters of my book called "What the Heck is Self Love Anyway," and they oh, cool. can go to jonathanaslay.com forward slash love to get a couple chapters of my book. Um, and my book is on Amazon. And uh, certainly my website, jonathanasley.com. For those who are single and dating, you can join my mailing list. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel where now I shoot three videos a week. And I'm launching my own podcast. uh, So I'm excited about it. It hasn't been launched yet, but be on the look for it. It's called the What Would Love Do podcast. The What Would Love Do podcast. And the idea is to look at, you know, problems, issues, concerns about life, love, and, you know, things that happen from the eyes of love. In other words, how can we look at things not from a problematic sense, but from a sense of care and love? And that's my goal is to shift consciousness around focusing on love instead of what we seem to be focused on in the United States is a lot of victim consciousness. And I'm here to combat that. Wow, I think that's awesome. I'll read that book. I'll listen to that podcast. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Cool. Yeah, well, we'll definitely put those links in the show notes for everybody and uh, just so that they can have that and look you up more. And and again, grateful for this time, Jonathan, and hopefully it's not the last. We'd love to have you on our other podcast where we answer people's really specific like relationship questions. That could be really fun sometime. I would be honored. Anytime you want me, I'm, 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 I'll rise to the occasion. Cool. So thank you. Thank you both. You guys are wonderful. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Man, wasn't that good. I hope you got a few good things from this as me and Ashley surely did. If you want to learn more about Jonathan Asley, you can go to jonathanasley.com and that'll direct you to his book, his courses, his coaching and all that good stuff. Again, it's jonathanasley.com and I'll put that in the show notes because he spells it with O-N at the end, Uh, jonathanasley.com.